friends, Jay Stephen Willard here. Another week of There Once Was a Yogi. I had to take last week off because I was in the, the throes of a cold, not COVID, but a cold that I haven't had in like two years. Mask work, y'all. Anyway, so I didn't re- do a, an episode last week. So hopefully this week's episode will make up for it because it's fabulous. Uh, let's see, what else was I going to talk to you about? You know, it's an interesting it's an interesting time. Uh, you know, I, I teach in a field that is, I've said this on many episodes, and I think I say it on this one as well, that's very torn with response to, to COVID and COVID protocols. And uh, the studio where I primarily teach, we will be moving to, I think, a mostly vaccinated uh, status, meaning that uh, people will have to show their proof of vaccine to take a, a class in studio. And I know everyone has opinions about this, Please do not email or DM me those opinions. My opinion's mine, your opinion's yours. It's doubtful that we'll say anything to each other that will change that. I, in thinking about doing this and thinking about having only vaccinated folks in my class, it basically boils down to this. I don't think this is going anywhere anytime soon, y'all. And I wanna be part of the solution and not the problem. And my feeling is until we care about everybody getting sick or trying to keep everyone from getting sick, this isn't going anywhere. So that's where I'm at with it. And you know, I'll be, that'll be kicking into effect soon in a couple of weeks. But anyway, the episode today is with uh, Jacoby Ballard, who is a, an amazing trans writer and teacher, teaches yoga and meditation and has a fantastic book called Queer Dharma. And I just, I love this book so much. I, I'm, I'm kind of savoring it rather than just like barreling through it. And I think if you're interested in, in getting this book, which I hope and think you will be after you hear our conversation, Jacoby's going to be leading a uh, virtual book club in the new year, which, you know, that's cool in and of itself. But there are two tracks. There's a queer track and an ally track. So there will be a group for queers, people who identify as LGBTQ+, where you can safely read with each other, discuss ideas, and then there will be an ally track, where if you don't identify as any of those things, it can maybe give you a sense of compassion or a sense of understanding. And I think that that's where a lot of the, that's not where a lot, I think that's where all phobias are rooted in. Is it fear and in lack of uh, understanding and therefore the inability to have empathy or compassion for that which is different from you. And uh, we, we go a lot of places in this conversation and I was so stoked to, to talk to him and I think you will be too after you listen. And you can check out his website, jacobyballard.net. You can take live classes. You can purchase recorded classes. Uh, I believe you can get the book there, but of course you can get the book most anywhere. So until next time, I will wish you good wishes, best wishes, and warmest regards. Hey there, friends. Got skin, but not hair. Well, Mantle Skincare has you covered. It is a skincare system that is specifically designed for the care of the skin on your face and your scalp. Because guess what, y'all? You shouldn't stop SPF and moisturizers at your forehead and at your chins. It should be over your entire head. I literally, when I pump the, the sunscreen, which is like the best sunscreen I think I've ever used, into my hand, I literally wipe it from like my neck all the way over my head, over my ears. It's awesome. It's not greasy. It holds in place. It feels very light. Then at night, I use the the nighttime moisturizer. Same thing. Neck, face, head, ears. Great smelling. Goes right in. Doesn't feel like it's sitting on top. And then their cleanser is designed to be used on your face and your scalp. I know for a long time when I first shaved my head, I was still using shampoo on like my phantom hair because I was like, I don't think I can use my face wash on my scalp. Of course, that was stupid, but Mantle takes care of it for you. And then they also make these really cool 
uh, charcoal uh, infused uh, blotting sheets because I, if you're on Zoom a lot, you notice how much light reflects off of your bald head. And these are great for just absorbing that oil and keeping you very matte and fresh. And if you use promo code YOGI15, you get 15% off your purchase. So go to Mantle, that's M-A-N-T-L dot com and oil up that scalp, y'all. All right. Holidays got you stressed. Or maybe 2021 has you stressed. Or maybe you've been stressed since 2016. Well, CBD could be a great way to alleviate some of that stress. And one of my favorite CBD suppliers is Best Buds. They are an ethically sourced and legal resource for CBD products. From topicals to gummies to oils. You can also pick up some Delta 8s if you want, you know, something that packs a little bit more of a punch. Always fun on the weekends, personally. Actually, I don't know how I would sleep without the Delta 8 gummies. They have just been a lifesaver. And if you go to bestbudsbff.com and use promo code YOGI10, you get 10% off your entire order. And guess what? If you live in the greater Charleston area, they will even deliver it to you. But if you don't live in Charleston, which we kind of appreciate because it helps cut down on traffic, they will ship anywhere in the U.S., so bestbudsbff.com, promo code YOGI10. <laughs> All right. Hi, Jacoby. Hi, Stephen. Uh, first, I want to say, I don't know why I'm holding this up because no one's actually, there's no visual to this. <laughs> but I, I don't know, it just makes me feel like uh, I, this is the book I have wanted for like at least 20 years. Oh. Queer Dharma is what we're talking about. Uh, for those of you that can't see that visual reference. Um, it, oh my gosh. Like I literally, when I saw it in like the coming soon, like, you know, it popped up on my Amazon thing. Uh, and I was like, what, what is this? And I like, I think I pre-ordered it like, oh. back in May or something oh like my that. Gosh. Yeah, it, because it's so rare to get books written from a queer perspective yeah of a spiritual nature yeah so so which we will get into uh all right so i want to know first where did you grow up i grew up in a small town called carbondale colorado which is in the rockies um and not too far from aspen colorado as a reference point not that not that i identify with with aspen but just to locate it any of the poshness from Aspen? <laughs> I mean, my people were the ones that worked at Aspen. <laughs> gotcha. I'm very familiar. And uh, did you grow up in like a religious house or community? No, my uh, my dad actually grew up here in Salt Lake City, Utah, and had some trauma um, from the Mormon church. He was not Mormon growing up, um, mm. but the Mormons controlled everything. So there was a certain level of like oh. conformity that he had to do as, as a non-Mormon. And then... My mom left her church, which I believe was Presbyterian when she was 17 or 18, when um, her church was like lifting themselves up as like the only ones doing X, Y, or Z. Mm, and she's like, yeah. that's not true. No, okay. <laughs> Therefore, I don't trust you. <laughs> right. So then you didn't have a lot of um, uh, dogma or religious baggage. No. No, and I'm, I'm okay. partnered with a, a former Catholic, so I realized the grace that my parents provided me. Oh, that. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, you were, you were lucky on that, uh, that aspect. All right, so you, um, you write in the book, in Queer Dharma, a little bit about growing up and um, at what age, at what age, because I, I don't know, was there, did we even have the language for it back then of trans? Not really, I don't think, did we? Not. I mean, I mean, trans people have always existed. But well, yeah, with, with but different I mean, language. Right. I mean, so at what age were you when you're like, okay, this is what's up? I came out as trans when I was 24, when I was um, surrounded in queer community with other trans guys, some of whom were at the mm -hmm. beginning of their process, some of whom had actually moved to the U.S. from other countries for to get a refugee status oh, uh, oh based wow. on gender asylum yeah um, 
and you were like fully in sort of the yoga Buddhist meditation community at that point, right? Yeah, I'd been practicing for five years by the time I came out and, and teaching for four. And you write in the book, because it is interesting, you know, when we think about, uh, you know, I, when I started teaching yoga, like 16, 17 years ago, especially in the South, I was like, you know, the old, you know, all the guys that taught yoga were, you know, straight, ripped, you know, long hair. And here I was this fat, gay, you know, bald guy. And um, did you think, but you have this idea that the yoga community is so welcoming, but that's not always the case. Yep. Um, uh, can you speak a little bit about that, about your experience with that? Like when you came out, like what was the... Was there an actual reaction to you or? Yes. Um, so the first community that I was part of, um, I, I was already out as queer, um, Kashi Atlanta. Um, I know Kashi. And, oh, so yeah. Jaya Devi had already been grounded in um, the HIV AIDS movement for like mm -hmm. a couple decades by the times by the time I met her. And so her sangha was at least half queer. And that's where I took my yoga teacher training, which I now realize like to have a training with half queer folks, what, what, a, what a gift. And oh. actually at the end of that training, I came out as trans because I, I think it was just because oh, it was wow. like so cozy and wonderful that like yeah. then I could realize the next aspect of my identity. Oh, that's amazing. And then um, I moved around a little bit and then landed in New York City and uh ended up working at a natural food store that was run by a yoga ashram um and integral uh-huh <laughs> and yes, familiar with that as well and uh worked in the produce department and worked in the uh, supplements and, and herbs department and um was newly out as trans at that point and talked about my identity um on the floor and you know asked dared to ask my coworkers to treat me respectfully. And I was rep at first reprimanded for that and then later fired for that, um, which is, you know, terrible, but also kind of a blessing in disguise that it taught me like, yeah, yoga, yogis don't have everything figured out. They're actually not liberated yet. Oh my God. First <laughs> time I went to, uh, first time I went to Yogaville in Virginia, um, uh, I, my, a good friend at that time, she and I were in yoga teacher training together. And uh, we were like so excited. We thought we were going to this, you know, like this Mecca. And um, we get there and I have never seen such miserable people <laughs> in my life. Like they were so unhappy and unkind. And it was like, what is this? Oh. Um, yeah. So it, 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 yeah, that was my first sort of moment of that. All right. So Okay, so then from New York and there. Well, so I so once I got fired there, you know, at first like moving to New York and getting hired there, I was so excited. I was like, oh well, like I could just work a service job, which is like right. I don't know like quote unquote what I want to do with my life, but I'll I'll just land here and you know work at a place that seems like in alignment with my values, like it's run by a yoga ashram, and then having that experience um, actually led me to start this community health center in Brooklyn where none of us could be fired. You know, in, in New York, there's discrimination laws that protect folks mm. based on gender identity. But, and I consulted with the Sylvia Rivera Lot project, both when um, I was scrutinized and then when I was fired and they were like, yeah, that's clearly discrimination. And do you want to spend like the next couple of years of it, of your life in courts and proving it? Mm. Or do you just want to kind of like let this go and move on? Move um, on. Which I felt like was a, you know, kind of a spiritual teaching in that moment. Like yeah. um, that the courts are not going to create resolution on this necessarily. They often don't. It's really hard right. to prove discrimination. Um, so you could like let it go now, or you could like really go through it and let it go in a few years. 
Right. I know, you know, I had a, a job that I, several years ago that I was just miserable at. And, uh, and I was talking to a friend of mine one day and um, I was like, you know, I just keep looking for, you know, what I'm supposed to be learning in this job. Like what lesson am I supposed to be taking away? And after, after letting me go on, she said, you know, I think your lesson might be learning when to walk away from something. And like my head literally exploded. Cause I was like, cause I was thinking about like relationships and, you know, friendships and jobs where I'm like, oh my God, I've held on to that to like every ounce of life was out of it. And I think it's true. Like sometimes you, cause I'd say this too about closure, like closure really is, I think an egoic thing of where you're wanting the other party to say that you were right, they were wrong. <laughs> and, and sometimes you're just like, okay, I got to close it myself. Yeah, totally. it's not going to happen. <laughs> right. I got to close it and move on uh, myself. All right. I kind of want to go two paths with you. Okay. I want to go the activist path and I want to go the queer spirituality path. Great. And I, I, and I think I'm leading, I, I thought you might. Uh, so I think I'm leaning towards activist path first. Are you, uh, I feel like I'm just jumping right into this. I'm like right now I'm doing Sharon Salzberg, you know, is doing this um, meditation uh, challenge around her last book. And there's a lot of reference to uh, social justice, activism, et cetera. Something that I don't think we would have seen six years ago, seven years ago. Yeah. Are you surprised? Well, I guess number one, are you surprised that it's taken this long for the paths of yoga and activism to kind of cross? I mean, they have crossed, just not amongst the more well-known practitioners and teachers. I think there's been many of us doing our right. Work. Not I on such a conversation with Susanna Barkataki yesterday, we've both been doing this work for a couple of decades and only within the last couple of years have mm. has she been recognized and now I'm with my book, I'm becoming more recognized. Uh, but we've been doing the work for for a while. And I think there's a lot of us, you know, like um, people in the Black Panther movement were, were doing yoga and and mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, it's 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 existed uh, at the confluence um, with social justice for a long time. It just hasn't been like the leading teachers and the famous teachers. But now, you know, it's coming to a point, it's a breaking point where like those the teachers that hold a lot of privilege, um, if they don't shift, if they don't uh, come on board, they're going to be irrelevant. Right, right. I uh, I talked to uh, Diane Bondi a couple of weeks ago, and she was saying how I love Diane. Um, she was saying how her teacher trainings have an element of uh, of social justice in her two hundred hour uh, teacher training, and and I was looking around at like a lot of places you know near me where that's still not uh, a component, and yeah. you know I guess like I said I I live and teach in the South. And um, it was very interesting last summer, you know, when the BLM movement was, you know, sort of at its at its peak. How many uh, teachers and studio owners that I know that either said nothing mm -hmm. or some spiritually cloaked version of "All Lives Matter," right? You know, and it's and it was just so disheartening and and depressing yeah so uh, i don't even know what my question is in there jacoby um what do we do <laughs> what do we do i mean i think it's it's last year was the moment when it became visible right like that was already the case that they were like unwilling to reckon right like, the suffering of a lot of the the country and a lot of the world um and inevitably probably people entered and left that those yoga studios right when they felt that they weren't welcome there yeah. um but it just it wasn't broadcast on the level uh that 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 it was um i think there's it's a huge spiritual bypass right that like to to remain in this position of privilege and not um let our hearts be broken by mm. you know 
at last moment last year where what black folks were like screaming, <laughs> you know, telling us, right? Like, yeah, you gotta. It, it, this is a breaking point. You gotta get on board or or get out. And you know, to the point that there's even a lot of corporations that were saying Black Lives Matter. But but I, that, I also questioned that, like, really, Subaru, like, what are you right. doing for Black Lives? Right, right, exactly. I, there, I will see a lot of Subarus in a lot of neighborhoods. <laughs> totally. You know what I mean. Well, and you know what's interesting too. I don't know if you if you hold this view or not, but our the our yoga community, our wellness community, we seem to be in this very definable divide of where there's this you know this one camp of us who are you know speaking to this stuff and you know wearing masks in public and um, you know all that. And then there's the other camp of where we're all one. And, you know, it's, which I, like you said, has always been there. It's only in the last, I don't know, I'm going to say since 2016, because I never, I used to be able to keep my politics out of my, out of my class until <laughs> election election day 2016 and then it was just like you know all uh, the wheels came off yeah. um do you think that there's a way and i mean this could be true of the country in general is there a way that we're going to come back together or do you think that we will just be forming new identities as these separate camps I think we can't afford to let those identities to harden, especially those of us mm. that um, recognize the suffering in our country. I know for myself as a white bodied person, part of uh, my task and my dharma is to go get other white people, mm. right? And who are the white people that I'm close to, but closest to, but my family, my neighbors. And, you know, so I have to be willing to have a lot of difficult conversations. We have a neighbor who, um, the day that the Rittenhouse verdict came out, I don't wow. know if it was related, but it was related in my heart. This four-year-old was on top of his dad's car with a, a, a water gun, like aiming like a sniper um, at cars that were passing. Little white, little white child, um, boy, four years old. And I, I was just really struck in this moment, like, Aw shit, this is how we got there, right? Like Rittenhouse was right. that little boy. And no right. one said anything. No one mm -hmm. said anything to his parents. No one mm -hmm. like shifted course to prevent the violence that could happen. And so mm -hmm. that's 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 our task, really to call upon the depths of our spiritual practice to shift white supremacy. And then for, you know, mm. for men, for people read as in masculine identities to shift misogyny and, and where better to start than with within our own yoga lineages. Like every yoga lineage has a history of sexual yeah. violence. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I think it's interesting. Um, I was listening to a podcast the other day, uh, how we are having these conversations around masculinity now. And, um, and I, again, yeah, I think like what you said within the yoga community is that we've held up this, maybe this whole guru, man as guru thing is um, finally starting to crumble, which which probably should have happened yeah. years ago, decades yeah. ago, um, or if it had ever happened at all. Um, I, okay, so I'm going to shift gears a little bit here into the, the spiritual practice component. Because I agree with you, I started doing, um, I started seriously practicing the loving kindness meditation, I don't know, 2018, 2019 or something. I've meditated for a long time, but I, that one was always, I'm equal parts woo-woo and this is bullshit. Um, <laughs> like I'm, a just, I'm a Gemini, so I'm equal parts, namaste, go fuck yourself. Fuck you. Um, so, but I noticed in like 2018, 2019, on a day when I literally was hanging out the window of my car, screaming at someone with a Trump bumper sticker on their truck, that I was like, oh, 
I've got to do something (laughs) for myself. So I started doing the loving kindness practice and and it has helped. I mean, you know, there are a lot of times where I'll still be like, will you be happy? But but I want to shift this to the queer community because I think, is it important for us as queers to, to have a spiritual practice? Yeah. Yeah, I think it uh, enables our resilience in the face of mm-hmm. uh, so much difficulty in our world. And, you know, some, some members of the queer community are just fine, right? And then other aspects of the queer community have not gotten much development or protection at all in the last 50 years. Right. Yeah. And um, so, and you know, I think a lot of us uh, carry a lot of religious trauma. Yeah. And I know for myself, when I got out of my house and um, like, I, I won't have anything to do with anything. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, at some point in my late 20s, I got very, you know, attracted to the, you know, very new agey stuff. And then I kind of realized that I was missing some some connection to something divine. Yeah. How, if you are a person who is carrying uh, that kind of trauma baggage, how can you craft, how can you craft a spiritual practice? Can you craft a spiritual practice without believing in something? Hmm. Yeah, I think for me, that's part of the beauty of, that I find in both yoga and Buddhism is that they're a practice. They're not a doctrine to believe in. Yeah. Right. And there's there's humility and grace in how they're delivered and offered to people. And they're offered, they're not demanded of people, right? Um, that's, you know, try this on. It, it's worked for millions of people mm-hmm. before you, but maybe, you know, compassion's not gonna work for you. Go see. Yeah. Um, and so it's really, it's in the, the practice of it, the, the embodiment, the, the daily routines um, of it that, that, our, that our practice shows up, um, that, I, that is so important. I, I, it's also, I'm, I'm thinking about a wedding that I went to a couple, probably 10 years ago now between one of my very dear friends, um, who's a white gay man and a cisgender man and his um, this man becoming her, his husband is a, is a black cisgender man. And um, Chris, the one of them is a, was a, is a Catholic, a very devout Catholic in wow. a way that like actually like made me think twice about Christianity. Like I was like, maybe there's actually something there. Like if Chris is this beautiful <laughs> and right. like this deep of a spiritual being and it's all about his church, like, wow, all yeah. right. Um, but the, the Catholic priest that they had there, they asked that there be no pictures of him and no one was to like record his name because oh, he, wow. his own, you know, position in the church could be called into scrutiny mm. if it was known that he had officiated a gay wedding. Huh. And the priest, what he said, he, the first thing he said was, I want to apologize to all of you because the church that I'm a part of has dehumanized everyone here and that's that's not jesus consciousness that's i'm so sorry and you know so like the whole where it was an outside wedding the whole tent was wedding was was crying (laughs) it was like oh like we've wanted yeah Yeah. we wanted that admission um Mm -hmm. and i think so i think what what also that taught me is not only that like i can't just like throw catholicism and christianity out like there's still some value there but also that like any of us that are representing different spiritual traditions that have created harm, there can be a really profound and necessary grace to admit that harm. Mm. Right? Well, right, which I think, you know, uh, I mean, the country, you know, America, I mean, there's so many ways that America yeah. needs to do this. Yes. But, um, you know, I mean, uh, that's a whole other podcast. Um, and it, I, kind of going back to what you were saying about your experience when you first came out. I mean, there are a lot of schools of yoga and Buddhism that ain't crazy about us. 
yeah. you know, and it's um, so. But I thought you just you just said something really poignant there, of where you you didn't toss out Catholicism and Christianity as a whole based on even though it's like the majority of the church's opinion. So can you try to think how I want to phrase this? <sighs> try to, it's, 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 it's coming to me. Queer and Buddhist can coexist, even if there's a school of Buddhism that does not think that, yeah. right? And and I think that maybe sometimes that's what it is, is that we have to let go of this idea that we have to be uh, accepted by. Mm-hmm. I mean, that Whatever literally just authority. came to me. Right, right. Whether it's our parents so can, or institutions. Yeah. Or so you Subaru. could call yourself a Christian, Subaru. You could call yourself a Christian, even if 98% of Christian churches won't accept you or acknowledge you. Yeah. My friend Teo Drake has said, you know, the teachers, he's talking of, of yoga, the teachers, uh, the teachings of yoga have never, have never failed me, but the teachers mm. of yoga certainly have failed me. So Ooh. I think he's inviting us into discernment. Like, what do the teachings actually say? Yeah. And because most of the spiritual teachings, whatever division of spirituality, like it's, it's teachings on love, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, totally. And then comes in our humanity and we create mistakes and divisions. Right. And we get afraid. And so we target each other out of that mm. fear. Um, so if we can separate, separate out, like there's still like, there's beauty in every religious tradition, even if yeah. it's also been used as a tool to enact harm. Yeah, um, that was really powerful. The teachings of yoga. I've never failed. I, ooh, y'all write that down. Um, all right, so I want to move into two practices uh, specifically. And then it kind of ask you, because I think that these can be, I think they can be a benefit of everyone. But I do think, especially within our community, I think these are two really important practices, loving kindness and uh, uh, tanglin. Uh-huh. So can you explain uh, the differences? Sure. Loving kindness is an umbrella practice with the aspiration to eventually welcome in all beings into our hearts, which includes all the beings we don't know. It includes all the beings that we do know. (laughs) It (laughs) includes everyone who's been visionary and creative and progressive forces in our world. And it includes everyone who's enacted harm on personal, interpersonal, institutional, societal levels. Mm. Um, Which is often the toughest part of that practice. Yeah. Yeah, right, to like offer loving kindness to everyone with a Trump sticker on the, the back of their truck. Yes, okay. <laughs> like yes. That, that's, way that's to, a that's Way a to bring test. it full circle. <laughs> that's okay, a so test of your, of your practice, right? Like, really can I still is. love this person? Even yeah. if he's espousing so, hatred. Okay, well, you speak to that part of the practice because that, you know, it's easy to offer it to your best friend, yeah. uh, you know, your dog, yeah, even like the neighbor you don't know is your, your neutral person. Because I think the, the trap that sometimes people fall into is that if you're doing that in some way, you're condoning. Uh, you're accepting, blah, blah, blah. So yeah. will, will you speak into that part of the practice? Yeah, that disturbance is really important. Um, it's not condoning harm. So this is where we're kind of moving away from loving kindness and into compassion because they, it often moves that way as we intersect with difficult people. Um, it's not condoning the harm, but it's also refusing to give up on any single being. Um, wow. Refusing to condemn them as like, just like, a fucked up person or a bad person or an evil person or any of these other like labels that we might put on each other that where we give up on one another. Right. Um, there's also understanding that, that hatred does not cease by hatred, but by love alone. So we can't shame and judge mm. and punish each other into better, better behavior, but we can certainly love each other there. 
Mm, darkness does not cast out darkness. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then why do you think, is, why is the love and kindness practice important, especially, I mean, you kind of just spoke to it, but, but especially for, for us queer folk. Because we live in a homophobic, transphobic world that's teaching us that our very being is wrong. Our mm. bodies mm. are wrong. Who we love is wrong. And so we're, whether we want to or not, intentionally or unintentionally, we're, we're drinking in that Kool-Aid every day. And so we need Ooh. to balance it with loving ourselves for exactly who we are. Yeah. I quote in my book, uh, Laverne Cox, right, who has who said we have to we have to love the precise trans parts of ourselves that that like that is like deep spiritual work that we have to do mm. the part of ourselves that the world condemns as any targeted people whether it's your blackness or your fatness or your disability or your transness your gayness we have to love that part of ourselves because that's part of loving the wholeness of ourselves you uh i saw a quote of yours uh and i, I took a screenshot of it because it was it, it moved me so much. Um, ultimately, it is my spiritual work to change how I relate to the hate. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. And, and hard as shit. So hard. I mean, maybe that's part of it is that maybe we need to acknowledge. Right. <laughs> like how this is hard. really hard work. Yeah. Because maybe, you know, as I, as I say this to you, I, th I think about that, that like, yeah, we think about, oh, you know, we just offer these, these phrases of, of compassion, but it is hard and it is, totally. and, and it's a practice. Totally. Um, I think for me, it's learning to see that beneath any uh, hateful behavior is fear and underneath that yeah. is tenderness. So mm. if I can like see through to the tenderness. I was talk just talking a couple of weeks ago to Britta Bushnell, who's a, a birth worker and wrote a fan fantastic book about, about birthing, um, about uh, trans exclusionary radical feminists in the birth world who have, oh. got, who have come down on her for saying birthing person instead of mother or birthing woman or whatever. So she's gotten a lot of hate mail from them. And so she was asking me to speak, um, speak about it. And, um, you know, these are, these are people that like, I, I was a birthing person. I, I gave birth right, to right. My, my kiddo. And so that they're talking about me. Right. Right. But, but also I can see um, that it comes out of trauma of misogyny mm. and sexism mm. where they've had to work so hard to create women's spaces where cisgender women can feel safe that gotcha. they see trans people as a threat to that when mm. like, it's not trans people that's threatening that it's misogyny and sexism yeah and yeah. you know of course we should like ask invite all of the, all of one another to do the work uh to not reproduce sexism and misogyny um you know if trans women or trans men or non-binary people are invited into those spaces of course yeah. we need to be doing the work to love the cisgender women there too but they're their anger, their hatred, their fear is aimed in the wrong place. Like trans people didn't create the gender binary. Trans people right. didn't create right. sexism. Yeah. We're not the ones who are who have created the harm and trauma in their life, but but we are a vulnerable population. And so it's an easy target to just throw us under the bus. I know, I, like sometimes I just think like if, if we could all realize that so many of us are in this together, you know, it just yeah. like we all like we all want equality. We all want to feel safe. We all want it just work together instead of like yeah. all this infighting. Um, all right. So now the Tonglin practice is slightly different. Yeah. The way that I teach it um, that I learned from Jai Devi in Atlanta was first um, breathing in love and breathing out love, doing that for several minutes um, to just kind of condition the heart, tenderize the heart, and then breathing in suffering and breathing out love, which is working with compassion to allow ourselves to be in proximity with the suffering 
of our world and the suffering of our community, um, the suffering in our individual lives. And then rather than like perpetuating that suffering to do the transformative work in our hearts to pass on love in the face of that suffering. And then the next, so we do that for several minutes in the practice and I offer this in the, in the book if you're if, for, for any listeners. Um, and then the next step is to breathe in love and breathe out suffering, which is the practice of letting go and the practice of mm -hmm. forgiveness to draw on the resources, the beauty, the support that we have available in our lives and to pass on or to, to be able to, with that resourcedness to be willing to let go and move on of the like armor that we've attained um, or the wounds that we've collected in our, in our life's experience. Mm -hmm. And then and then we return in the Tonglen practice to breathing in love and breathing out love. And at the end, I really frame that the breathing in love as the practice of gratitude of like being very diligent to recognize the beauty and the brilliance of our world and mm. in our lives to like not miss the beautiful sunset, to not miss the giggle of the child, to not miss, you know, the sparkle in one another's eye. Yeah. Um, and then breathing out love is like a practice of generosity to that, to share it, to, to know that like anything is better shared. Oh, yes, exactly. Yes. Um, I read that in, uh, that excerpt is in, um, I guess it's the current issue of yoga journal. Yeah. Um, and I was like, Oh, and then when I saw it in the book, I was like, yay. Um, it, and you, your website, you have these practices available as like guided and recorded, I believe. Yeah, right? I have recordings that you can download. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, those of you listening, if, if that's, if you're like, because I know when I first started, it's easy to get distracted and you're yeah, like, wait, yeah. what am I doing? Yeah. So <laughs> that's a great, that's a great way to, uh, to, to kind of tiptoe into it. Um, as I, and I had this conversation with, uh, with Diane, how, if you were, if we're, this is for the yoga teachers that are listening. If you're teaching in a, uh, a studio setting that tends to be, you know, very um, pretty privileged, <laughs> um, how how can a how as teachers can we make it more uh, accessible, uh, more adaptable? Oh, there's so many ways. Um, mm -hmm. Looking around the physical space right to see is there a ramp here or is it up a steep flight of stairs looking at the bathroom is the bathroom door wide enough for a wheelchair to get through or crutches or a walker is it divided by the gender binary that then leaves non-binary mm -hmm. people or trans people with no other nowhere to urinate or change um, and then within the classroom there's you know as teachers and I, and I learned this actually from a queer man in New York City, Brian Liam. Um, he's so beautiful at welcoming every single person into his classroom. He like he goes up to them. He has like a little bite-sized conversation with them. It's just like, hi, I'm so glad you're here. And that's just like his way of being with every single person, whether they yeah. look like him, talk like him, are completely different from him. It's beautiful. And I, I think we need to have that pra as a practice, especially you know, if, if for a white teacher to do that with a black student walking in, when that, that black student has got to be terrified if it's a predominantly white space. Oh, so just 100%. Like settles the nervous system a little bit. Yeah. Or for you, you know, in your particular embodiment or my embodiment, um, it's just like, oh, actually this person, this teacher that's holding space actually cares about me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and I think that that is something that uh, yoga teachers should be doing anyway. It's funny, I, uh, I taught earlier today and a um, uh, guy that comes to my class who uh, comes very regularly was telling me about another uh, class um, he had gone to and he's like, I just wish they were nicer to me. And I was oh. like, I know it broke my heart. I was like, what? You and he's like, yeah, they just, you know, they never say hi or never really acknowledge that. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, that's awful. Yeah. So yeah, just be more human. Yeah. Put your humanity out. Yeah. Um, and are then you the optimistic? reference points in the classroom too. Like, oh. 
reading the poetry of queer people or people of color mm. or disabled or fat people, anyone who hasn't been, you know, centered historically to like have those as your reference points or when I'm oh, teaching queer and trans yoga to, to, I usually in person teach with, with music and I try to make sure it's mostly music that comes out of our own community. So that yeah. inevitably, you know, there's going to be some like swishing of the shoulders and it, swaying oh, of the right. hips. Totally. Totally. <laughs> Which invites Absolutely. in the wholeness that we embody as a queer community, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, are you optimistic about the future of of our community, of this, of both communities? I guess. I, I do. I was just part of Susanna Barkataki's three hundred hour training that centered BIPOC folks. It was a very queer, very feminist teacher training that mm. took place online, and we just graduated two hundred people. And oh, wow. Yeah, it was a huge training and it was beautiful. Like social justice was taught all along the way, mm. having to do with every single practice. And, you know, people on the graduation ceremony talked about bringing this into schools or um, bringing it. One person works with grannies at Standing Rock reservation oh. and you know so then part of his practice is like yes working with their body working with their breath but also making sure that like they have a clean mattress to to sleep on and making sure oh, that they wow. have good food yeah. to nourish their bodies like that's part of the practice that he's offering as well um so i just think you know if we're then like if we're graduate if we're training and graduating huge groups of people like that 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 that's just like gonna permeate outwards and shift everything. yeah yeah Oh, that's exciting. That's actually really like, it's kind of gave me like a little flutter. Yeah, and that's um, just one training, right? There's also Diane's training. There's Amber Carnes training, Jeevan Heyman's training. Like, yeah, Jaya Davies trainings. They're all shifting things. Yeah, right. I mean, it's so interesting. I, I had one encounter uh, with a studio owner uh, where I had said I wanted to put uh, my pronouns on my bio of the website. And they were like, well, why? And um, I was like, I, I think it's, I just think it's a good thing to do. And, um, and they said, well, you know, I just don't know how many more hoops I can jump through. And I was like, okay. So, it was just, so you know, every time you see like there's this hope, it's like, okay, yeah, but this is actually where we still are right here. But, yeah. yeah, that that is still there. So there but... is, I think there is still work to do. There's enough of us doing the work though that is going to make obsolete the people who aren't pretty soon, and especially now that like Yoga Journal is getting behind us, Lululemon, Yoga Alliance, yeah, Reclamation Venture. Like, there's lots of organizations that are like lifting up those of us that have been historically marginalized and, and set aside or excluded altogether. Um, so you know, they're going to have to get on board at some point or like it's their a, student right. is going to get narrower and narrower and narrower exactly. and narrower. Exactly. Close the doors. Sorry, y'all. Right. Totally. I, um, I, I, I we're, we're going to end with a questionnaire in just a moment, but I, again, I just want to thank you again for this book. Um, I'm only about like maybe a quarter of a way through it. Cause I have this thing when I like really love a book, like I don't want it to, to be over. It. Yeah. So I'll read like a page and then put it down. First time I read Patty Smith, uh, Just Kids, like it took me like six months to finish like that last chapter because I was like, I'm not ready to let it go. <laughs> but this is a book that you can refer to over and over and over. And I, I will say, even though it's called Queer Dharma, it's really, y'all, it's for anybody. I mean, yeah. and if we're honest, we're all a little bit queer. <laughs> so... <laughs> so it's it, funny it just, for me to think about like people like carrying that book like through airports or like at oh, a gas station honey. or whatever. Oh, sweetie. Like... Oh, no, I uh, flew to Nashville and I'm like, it was in my seat. <laughs> like... Yes. <laughs> so, yes, no, it's um, so buy the book, go on, uh, on Jacoby's website, the practice. I, I'm going to download some of your practices this week, actually. Okay. So now I end with a little questionnaire. Uh, it's rapid fire. Okay. Um, I'm going to work on me not responding to your responses, but I have okay. failed every single time. <laughs> All right. What is your favorite word? Fabulous. See, I already messed it up. What is your least favorite word? 
supremacy? What excites you? Justice. What sound do you love? My child's laugh. I've heard that one twice today. What sound do you hate? Ah, uh, like big metal, like scratching on each other. Or like oh yeah, like that. What is your favorite curse word? <laughs> I love them all. <laughs> I do too. I kind of go through phases with them. Uh, what profession uh, would you like to attempt? Ooh. I would love to be some sort of ordained religious something. Priest I could ministry. totally see that. I could totally see that. What profession would you not like to try? Venture capitalist. Same. Uh, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Yes, you're here. <laughs> That's the second time I've gotten that answer as well. <laughs> Actually, my friend Jesse was like, yes, queen. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Yes, I. Okay, Jacoby, you hold tight for one second. But again, Jacoby Ballard, I don't know why I keep holding it up. A queer Dharma, uh, available everywhere. And I'm telling you, again, the, the practices are so beautiful. And if, if they've ever, like, I mean, just like the Tonglin one, it's it's presented probably in the most clear way. I've ever uh, I've ever read, and I I love that. So y'all go pick up that book. Follow uh, Jacoby on Instagram. The link to his website is in that profile. And uh, friends, I will talk to y'all later. Jacoby, hold tight. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to practice with me, I have a YouTube channel. There once was a yogi. Lots of yoga and meditation practices over there. You can also find me in, on Instagram at There Once Was a Yogi. If you want to work with me one-on-one -on -one with yoga or meditation, drop me an email at thereoncewasayogi at gmail.com. And if you want to take a live class with me, I am teaching primarily at Holy Cow Yoga Center based in Charleston, South Carolina. Can't make it to a live in-person class? Go to their website, holycowyoga.com, and you can register for a class virtually with me. Thanks so much.